Support for The Bittersweet Life comes from Italy Beyond the Obvious. Planning a dream trip to Italy? Don't go without exploring italybeyondtheobvious.com. Hello, this is The Bittersweet Life. I'm Katie Sewell. It's 2020, and a whole new year stretches out before us. What kind of people are we going to be this year? I hope we are people who support each other, who tip the people in our lives, who help us live better. Just yesterday, I tipped my server when I met a friend for dinner. The day before, I tipped my barista. This show, The Bittersweet Life, is a lot of work. 20 hours a week or more. And I remember the day when I made more money working in a bar, waiting on a couple for 40 minutes. Because we forget with art, don't we? We forget that it's work, that it's hard work. So this year, don't forget to tip your podcaster. I'm going to try to remember to do that too. We're on Patreon, search for The Bittersweet Life Podcast, or donate through PayPal at thebittersweetlife.net. There are links in the show notes, so it's super easy. Don't forget to tip your podcaster. Now on with the show. Welcome to Rome. This is The Bittersweet Life with Katie Sewell and Tiffany Parks. Hello, this is The Bittersweet Life. I'm Katie Sewell. It is a brand new year, and many of you have pledged to read more as a part of your resolutions. Others of you want to travel more this year, like listener Michael, who says that 2020 will be the year that he is finally in Rome at last. On today's show, we intend to combine traveling and reading, and I've called in an expert to help, Nancy Pearl. Nancy is considered the book expert by readers all over the world. She regularly talks about her favorite books on National Public Radio and on her monthly television show, Book Lust with Nancy Pearl. She is a best-selling author, librarian, and literary critic, but she is first and foremost a reader and a friend of mine. And we're at her house. Okay, so um, I have to say that I, I, I'm not much of a traveler. There's a wonderful line from one of the books that I'm going to tell you about today. It's called Between Terror and Tourism, which is a terrific title by a man named Michael Mushaw. He writes when he, after he has arrived in a totally inhospitable place, like say Yemen in 2004, he says, um, the pleasure of being where I had never been before, doing what I had never done, bound for who knew what, I found it all thrilling. I always have. Now, that is not me. (laughs) (laughs) So I do much of my traveling via book. I love armchair travel. I think that when it's done well, it's just an unbeatable genre of books to explore. And I'm happy to say I've been pretty much all over the world. (laughs) (laughs) What is it about real travel that you don't like? Well, I'm somebody who gets nervous about timetables and making people wait. I just can't stand the thought of somebody waiting for me. So missing a plane or I'm just not a, I mean, I love flying. I don't get nervous no matter how bumpy it is or anything like that. But it's the before and after. It's not the being there. Yeah, it's all the uncertainty. Like, I I mean, like, where do you eat? I I mean, I'm just not good at that kind of thing. And I'm not a pre-planner, so... I defeat myself at both ends of the trip. (laughs) So what are some of the best books 
ones that really feel like they've transported you to somewhere else? Well, I think one of the first ones that I think it should be just required reading for anyone who's kind of dipping their toe into armchair travel or a seasoned armchair travel reader who's missed this is Paul Theroux's The Great Railway Bazaar, which is his series of train trips across Asia. If you're interested, as I am, in India, it's just a wonderful, wonderful picture of the time. And it was written probably, I believe, in the 1980s. So much has changed, but it's so worthwhile reading. It's just a wonderful, you're just transported to India. It's it's absolutely an incredible experience. He does a lot of books about different places. He does. He does. And some of them I've liked a lot more than others. He did one about um, Oceania, which was not my favorite of his books. A recent one that he did, which I absolutely loved, which I was also going to mention, is um, Dark Star Safari, Overland from Cairo to Cape Town. And this was published in 2004, but not a lot, not a lot about the area has changed all that much. And so when you read this, Paul Theroux was a Peace Corps volunteer in Uganda. And so he goes back to Uganda and sees some of the people that he worked with when he was there as a Peace Corps volunteer. But again, with Paul Theroux, it's the traveling and it's the oddities, the people he meets, and it's just a hoot. What makes a book work where it really brings that place alive versus the fact that it's just set there? First of all, I think it depends whether it's fiction or nonfiction. But I think in any case, when you're talking about fiction, and you can do a lot of armchair traveling via novels as well, I think it's what the author is interested in doing or the type of reader the author is interested in attracting to that book. There are people who aren't particularly interested in a vivid description of the place. I mean, they're happy with a place name or two, whether it's made up or not made up in fiction. And then there are people, I I have a friend, Martha, who whenever I say to her, what are you reading, Martha? She will always preface every answer by saying, I feel like I'm there. She said, oh, I feel like I'm there, 18th century France, or something like that. And for her, that that sense of place setting is one of the most important aspects of a book. For me, it's not, which is um, interesting. Mm -hmm. So are there fiction ones that you really like that are also armchair travel? There are many that do such a good job of that. There's a novel by Aminata Forna called The Memory of Love, which is set in an African country during its civil war. That or Chimamanda Ngozi Adichie's um, Americana, which probably is many people's introduction to Nigeria. And certainly those Nigerian sections, you do feel like you're there. Are there certain countries you don't like to visit? You come across the book in the bookstore and you say, oh, it's set there, I guess I'll pass. Actually, no, Uh uh-uh. There isn't. I'll read a book set anywhere. And there's a wonderful mystery series set in Tibet. The first book begins with the main character. He's a a Chinese policeman who was fired from his job and ends up as a prisoner in Tibet. And so it brings up that whole issue. I mean, I, I think you learn from every book you read, don't you? I do, but I find that usually if a book is set in Haiti, it's not going to be one I like. And I don't know 
why. It's just because I gotten halfway through books about Haiti multiple times and just been like, I guess I'm done. Really? Oh. Yeah. Maybe it's because they're so dark, they, usually. They are dark, and, and there's a, um, a terrific novel that uh, by Bob Shikosius called The Woman Who Lost Her Soul, which is about 800 pages, and much of it is set in Haiti. I thought it was a wonderful novel, first of all, but it's, it's a hard book to read because of the subject matter. And Yeah, that was actually one of the ones I quit. Yeah, yes, <laughs> right, so. right. I know a lot of people did. Yeah. Um, but, you know, it's also set in Turkey. And there's a, another wonderful novel set in Turkey in the 1950s by Rose McCauley called The Towers of Trebizond, which is funny. And it has like an insane camel is one of the one of the characters. And what's most interesting to me about that book, one of the things that's most interesting is that the main character is about a group of of um Anglicans who are in Turkey trying to convert the quote heathen unquote natives. Aunt Dot, who is not telling the story but the subject, one of the main characters, Aunt Dot is especially interested in um, in the heathen women because she wants to make sure that they're not going to be second class citizens to stand up for themselves. And that's a book that is just absolutely wonderful and birds without wings another book set in in turkey at the end of world war one by um louis de berniers oh my gosh i mean that's a book that tells you gives you a history of turkey and a biography of ataturk in this one wonderful wonderful novel i could go on you know for i days. know i'm gonna i'll have to put a book list on our website thebittersweetlife.net so if you're not writing all these down you can look it up there <laughs> Can you armchair travel when it, the place is a fake location? It's not the same experience, but I think you can. And one example is, I think I know Tolkien's Middle Earth forwards to backwards. I mean, I, I think I could take you through Mirkwood and to um, Lothlorien and all of those, all of those places. So I, I think you can. And I think, for example, there's a brand new book just out called The Oregon Trail, and it's about a man. It's a, a memoir about Rinker Buck, who's the author, and his brother who take a covered wagon journey with mules pulling the covered wagon from St. Joe, Missouri, to Oregon, following as much as they can, given the 100 years uh, between the, the, uh, the wagon trains of Narcissa and Marcus Whitman, for example, given the interstates and everything that's covered up those ruts. But they followed rut by rut by rut almost that journey. And I felt like I was with them rooting them on and wanting the mules to make it uh, and all of feeling that. like they were crazy <laughs> oh yeah i mean i think they felt like or at least rinker did felt like he was he was you know a little bit of that that craziness it isn't an easy trip it certainly gave me a good sense of that whole process and i remember as a little kid reading one of those orange childhood of the famous america they were orange then they've been reprinted in a different color cover but um the childhood of the famous americans about narcissa whitman and then to read a, an adult view of what she was doing and who she was i mean i have nothing but admiration for those the nerve of those people i would never have done that one of the books that you gave to me that I recently read that I thought made a good sense of place was Heap House. Yes, the Ed, the Edward Carey uh, fantasy novel for older 
I would say 12 and up. Yeah, yeah. quick read. Uh, yeah, yes, Heap House, fabulous, fabulous fantasy. And and the sequel is now out called Foulsham. Do you have to try that, Katie? But I, the thing about one of the most important aspects of fantasy and science fiction is the world building that the authors do. And a lot of what makes a fantasy novel appeal to fantasy readers. Fantasy readers tend to do what armchair travel readers do. They want they want to enter into a re, into a world that you can see and hear and feel and smell and all of that. And so the world building aspect is absolutely vital. George R. R. Martin, Tolkien, Edward Carey, the best fantasies really the Hunger Games come with that spectacularly well worked out world. Tiffany is working on a book that's for 12, 11, 10 years old that's set in Rome. And one of her questions has been, how much does she really need to bring Rome alive for that sort of an audience? I think that she needs to make it clear that it's Rome and not Venice, for example, or Florence somehow. But I think the danger would be putting too much description a lot of description you're running for kids a lot of description is going to slow it down yeah it's going to go they're going to just ignore it because they want to find out what happens next can i ask you one more question actually of course. i'm about to go on a big trip and i have to be very conscientious about how many books i'm packing but i'm also going to have a lot of chances to read is there anything you would recommend me taking with me so you're not you don't read on an e-reader well, my husband has an e-reader, but he is, we only own the one, and he's loaded it up, and I can't imagine being able to get it out of his hands because all of his stuff is going to be on it. So if we're reading side by side, we'll I need some book. Yeah. Well, before e-readers, and I have to say I'm not a fan of e-readers, and when I'm home I tend not to read anything on an e-reader. I'd much rather hold the book. But when I'm traveling, I really see the, the benefit of, of e-readers. But that aside... Before there were e-readers, I used to go to the bookstore, the used bookstore, and I would just load up on old mass market paperbacks and just go through them. I would take five or six, all different kinds, like a couple mysteries or some historical novels or just a, a novel that I really loved and want to reread. Did you read Ordinary People? Yes, way, way back. Yeah. Freshman year of high school. Yeah, that's a wonderful, absolutely wonderful novel. So that was one that I took with me, I remember. So are you inclined to do that kind of thing? Pick up a whole bunch yes. of little ones? Yeah, and I, I mean, I often just shed them along the yes, way. that's yeah. what I do. I, I always stun, I tear out the pages as I'm going along to kind of lighten my backpack. People I'm sitting next to on an airplane or the um, flight attendants are just like stunned when I'm throwing away <laughs> these pages. But I, I'm, I'm buying these, you know, sort of grungy books. So who cares? What does it matter? What right? does it matter? Right, right. Uh, oh, I know. What about for a place? I'm going to give you place, but it's India. Okay. The Raj Quartet by uh, Paul Scott. Okay. Um, it's, it's four volumes. The first one is called The Jewel and the Crown. And they're absolutely wonderful. And they're in little mass market paperbacks. What kind of a book is that? It's set in just at the time, in the years leading up to India's independence from Britain. The British in India at that time and the Indian characters. Right. Does that sound good? Yeah, yeah, that sounds good. Do you want me to loan you my little mass market paperback? Well, I might have to leave it somewhere. 
I'll go find it. All right, because I'm thinking I'm going to replace my map because they're just showing it again on PBS. So I'm thinking that I might have to replace my mass market paperbacks. So before we end, I should mention that Nancy and I work on a podcast together that you're the main star of, along with Steve Scher, my old radio partner, which is called That Stack of Books. So if you cannot get enough book recommendations, check it out. All right. Thank you, Nancy. Thank you, Katie. It's been great. Anytime. So that's a lot of recommendations for you. So I advise that you get reading. Right, Tiffany? Absolutely. I know I'll be doing that because I'm not going anywhere anytime soon. That's right. This is The Bittersweet Life. I'm Katie Sewell. I'm Tiffany Parks. Join us again. This week, I want to thank a few of our donors. Lydia, Jessica, Dana, Drew, Christopher, Sonali, Bonnie, Amy, Madeline, Stephen, who raised his pledge recently, and our newest patrons, Drek and Evan. Thank you so much for supporting The Bittersweet Life. And to our latest listeners to tip their podcaster at our website, thebittersweetlife.net, thank you to Deborah, John, Kay, James, Scott, and Joe. You are keeping this podcast alive one tip at a time, and we are so grateful. We put all this hard work out into the world for free, and you rose to the call to help pay for it. Thank you so much. Don't forget to tip your podcaster. There are easy links to donate in the show notes. And we'll talk to you next week.